Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Humiston. As always, joined with me today, the good vicar. Ah! Lead pastor Good Nick Pierce. Night. It's gonna stick. I'm no, telling it's you, it's not. It's gonna it's stick. Not. I'm not Catholic. I'm not a vicar. Actually, I need to. As said last week, please refer to episode <laughs> one of season one for the quote from Nick Pierce. One, one, one family in the church calls me vicar, and it's not gonna stick. Yeah, so vicar in the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. a representative or. Uh, deputy of a bishop mm-hmm. in the Episcopal Church, a member of the clergy in charge of the chapel, and in the Church of England, an incumbent of a parish where tithes formerly passed to a chapter or religious house or layman. So you can be good vicar. I'll take. I'll accept the title bishop. <laughs> Now, bishop is far more bishop biblical. Bishop Humiston. Just see, it works. No, bishop, pastor, overseer, shepherd. Those are biblical. <laughs> no, those are biblical words for our position as pastors. Vicar is not uh, who we are. Uh, well, that was fun. Uh, that's not what we're talking about today. We're not going to talk about the Roman Catholic Church or breaking down titles. Um, of the it, good vicar. Of the good vicar. Uh, today, we are going to break down your sermon from Sunday. Uh, if you are listening to this years down the road, uh, Sunday's message was recorded on the 22nd of 2023. The message title... Hold on, hold on. You said the 22nd of 2023. January 22nd. I was say, there's sorry. 12 20 <laughs> sorry. seconds. Go, in... go figure it out. Uh, January 22nd, 2023. Uh, Nick's sermon title was Abide in Him from 1 John chapter 2, uh, really honing in on verses 18 through 28. So finishing out chapter to if you haven't watched or listened to the message, you don't have to. Uh, it will definitely help in your scope and understanding for what we're going to dissect today yeah. or break down. How'd Sunday go for you? Oh boy. <laughs> How? Let's just say, um, figuratively, the church caught fire and burned <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> figuratively, the spitting <laughs> fire. There it is. Is are there those Sundays like? When you're when you're listening, and you're just like, "Oh, life group's gonna be crazy," or, or do you wish like some people wish? I there's one person in the church. They tell me this. They said, "I don't watch you when you preach." What do I, you watch? Yeah, they look at the congregation, because when I say some really hard hitting things, th- they want to gauge the the congregation. Say like, "Hey, shift in the chair." Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing tomatoes, like how's this gonna go or whatever. And if the church wasn't figuratively on fire in <laughs> in regards to tech things on Sunday, oh. uh, you continued for the third straight week with uh, what is the most convicting sermon of twenty three. Um, and I've now three weeks in a row drank from a fire hydrant. I need a break. After after church on Sunday, Jerron was saying. He goes, hey, could you just, could next week, could we just have an ear-tickling message? Can we, can we just, like, it's kind of like you're underwater and you just want to come up for a small I breath. T- and I don't want, like, I don't want some, like, feel-good message. Like I just need something to where it's like, I need to process the last three weeks before you just continue dumping. That's that's why we only preach on Sundays. That's why we meet on Sundays. So you have six days to process. Yeah, I know. But that's how can uh, I, convicting it has been. Can I Can I give you a heads up? 
it's if you tell me the rest of first john's gonna be this way i this is my resignation right now (laughs) (laughs) you guys are hearing it live on the breakdown jaron's resignation no it was the resignation episode that's exactly right (laughs) only three episodes in it you know honestly like reading ahead looking ahead of where we're going in first john i think it's going to be the same like fire hydrant hit deep but it's going to hit in a different way because of how like john is is writing and he's building points and he's building on those and you know those are those heavy hitting talking about you know the lust of our eyes and flesh and the pride of life talking about antichrist which i think is where we're going today oh, or it something is. don't you worry and, and don't you worry he just let jaron drive here <laughs> uh, but you know in the next two chapters i said sunday that john uses the term love like 36 times in the next two chapters or whatever and so it i think it's going to be that same intensity um but the concept of what intensity it's going to be it's going to be a different focus but i i i mean it's i'm excited i think it's going to hit just as hard but in a different way like just as jesus was grace and truth like we want to get hit with some truth but it's like i know like a a right hook of grace is coming mm. So. And I, that's the thing for me, I think, that's been hard is it's it's hit on in so many different ways. It's yeah. not just like, hey, we're just going to keep piercing that same open wound. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, here's a wound. Here's let's start a new, wound. <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of. And so trying to like for me, at least process through like very convicting things and not just wanting because I have a tendency just to be like, don't flush them out. Just push <laughs> it down. Just don't deal with the down. uncomfortable yeah, and and I've been challenged recently. There's a pastor that I like, you know. Shout out to a Daniel Fusco up in Fusco, v- Vancouver, um, Washington. I I follow him on on Instagram, and I've yeah. had the pleasure of meeting him a few times, um, and and good friends with his executive pastor of ministries, a guy named Gabe, who yep. you've technically met, and so hopefully they're listening. Hello, guys. But he, he said something recently because somebody was asking him, he was answering the question, you know, how long does it take you to sermon prep? And and he's walking through that. And he goes, one of the things that I'm praying through the sermon, regardless however long it takes me to actually write it, I spend a lot of time praying over it because I want to live mm. the message before yeah. I speak the message. That's good. And it's like, that's good. And, and so that's been hitting me where it like, I never articulated it like that, but that's. Like really, um, so when people are walking up and they're like, hey, Sunday really hit hard. And I actually had somebody stop me at breakfast this morning. I had a breakfast meeting and they walked by and they said, hey, I've been attending for a few weeks and Sunday was just phenomenal. Thank you for it. Um, You will never see me again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks. uh, But, you know, honestly, that's where what a big heart of where a lot of my sermons come from is as I'm processing the text and what the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. I just kind of share that because mm-hmm. if that's where he's hitting me, um, I'm I'm just stepping out on a limb thinking uh, w- he's probably hitting others the same yep. way. And it's so much easier to relate to because you expect the guy on the stage yeah. to almost have all the answers. And so it's really easy to walk in, uh, at least for me when I've preached, and almost feel like, oh, today is my day to tell you. And it's mm. like, no, no, no. Like, I want my life to be transparent. I don't want to be any different. And so to live that out as you're praying, studying the text coming into Sunday, so that as you're talking about how the Lord is working in your life, that personal transparency makes it so much easier to relate to the guy on the stage when your life is falling apart or the things you're saying hit at home. And it's like, 
am I the only person in the room? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's good. Because it, it, it isn't just about biblical knowledge. And like you said, having all the answers. Yeah. Which I feel like when I get called the good vicar, I'm supposed to have all the answers. Oh, so, listen. There's <laughs> a reason I'm not letting that go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And so, yeah, that's, you know, it's not about a biblical knowledge because, you know, not to take the podcast in a different direction, but... You know, if it really was about biblical knowledge and not about faith, then you would never have any pastors that fall away from moral issues. Mm. You know, but how many people have great biblical knowledge and they st- and they're, they're still issues? Yeah. Well, maybe it doesn't have, maybe biblical knowledge is good, but maybe that's not the full thing. Yeah. And even, you know, you think about like Philippians 3, Paul saying like, hey, like he talks about all the things. Uh, David Platt called it the the treasures of the wasted life, and biblical knowledge was one of those. Like those are all really good things, but it kept him from Christ. And so, biblical knowledge is good, but it's not this like safeguard. Yeah. Oh, I know a lot about the Bible, so I won't sin. And it's like, uh, n- no, that's that's not it. Yeah. You know. And so, just just trying to be, and and so instead of like you're saying, hey, here's all the answers, and I have all the answers because I know a lot about the Bible. It's almost just like. Um, this is just how the Lord is hitting me in mm. this passage. Yeah. And I just want to share that because, you know, the conviction and the authenticity that comes from, I mean, it's almost like a testimony day Yeah, every Sunday. And it's like, oh, here, let's go watch the pastor and see how his life is getting wrecked <laughs> by the word of God and what the spirit of God is doing in his life. And, you know, and, and that's honestly kind of what it is. Yeah. That's, that's where we're at. And so. The hard part is like you you process the sermon, yep. so like you let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you there. Then you actually got to write it. I got to put my notes down so I don't get distracted. <laughs> then I preach it three times, you know. So by the third, like this is like five times that this same word yeah. is hitting me. And there's so many times that the Holy Spirit's just like, "Hey, that one's just for you. That <laughs> That's th- not for anybody in the yeah yeah." And it's even happened on the pulpit, like like the Lord is dealing something in my heart as I'm preaching. And it's like, that one's just for you. Don't share that. Oh, I had that happen last time I preached. Yeah. For sure. Like, super convicting in the moment. Yep. Like, I need to go home and process through that. Yeah. That was just for exactly. me. So, that. that's, the, that's the fun of what we get to do. And it's awesome. <laughs> most of the time. It's crazy. Like, this is, you know, this is what we get to do. This is what the Lord has called us to do. And it's just such a blessing. And, you know, people say, like, oh, I can't do anything else because I'm called to be a pastor and I understand that concept but there's also a great privilege like this is what we get to do to open up and share and it's and it's scary at times to be real and authentic with people because like you're saying that we're joking about the good vicar our culture has an expectation of Mm -hmm. what we think pastors and clergy should be and so when you do have one that says you know like life's hard temptation's real sin's real like you know yeah uh you almost kind of like some, are you allowed to say that can you say that? yeah some people would almost in a sense possibly lose respect for yeah. clergy because of that and it's like you know not nah, for me i've what i've always found is it it brings more respect of like hey that dude will be real with me mm-hmm. and if he can be real i can be real yeah and and that's that's the whole idea that's what god wants us just yeah real raw and this is it you know i love it well, hey, thanks for coming to the breakdown. We didn't even get into the. <laughs> that was part one part of, one of <laughs> part We might two. have to just start doing that. Like, all right, time's up. Do We're like just going to have to call it part one and hey, move on. That's fine. We could do that. We have. There we go. We, we can do whatever we want. So if we're if we're going to break down your sermon mm. on Sunday, uh, the one thing that stood out to me that got my ears 
tingling and the hair on the back of my neck kind of to stand up is you talked a lot about the the Antichrist in the sense of maybe not using the word Antichrist over and over again, but you talked about it and then you fleshed it out, the spirit of the Antichrist. um, It's in the text, it's in the passage. And for me, and I... This is just me making an assumption. I feel like at least the American church, when when you mention Antichrist, <laughs> immediately we run to Revelation, we run to end times, we run to doom and gloom, we run like that is the staple good when you say that. Run but run to the left behind series. That's exactly right. <laughs> like we all immediately go, yeah. and it's like we have to we have to break some of these things down. And so um I want I want to read two verses from the passage, mm-hmm. and then I want to ask you a question and have you flesh that out. And we're going to geek out today. So if it goes long, it is what it is. It is what it is. But I think this this was helpful for me on Sunday. That's um, good. And has still been helpful to process through as I've talked with my wife about it, as I've just spent my own time trying to process through this, um, and how complex I've tried to make it, and at times it's not complex. So yeah. we did uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 28. I want to read uh, verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2 in First John, and it says this. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Uh, 22, who, uh, sorry, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Mm. Uh-oh, where are you going? <laughs> what, what's the question? No. <laughs> so... The spirit of the Antichrist, which is language that you used on Sunday. Yeah. Like, so so we know the Antichrist. We're talking about a specific individual that, again, Satan is a counterfeiter. So just as God incarnate took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. God the Son, the Antichrist is going to be the same counterfeit. Like, Satan is going to counterfeit the Trinity, so okay. how you have a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's going to have an unholy trinity. And so the the counterfeit of who Jesus is, it's going to be Satan incarnate. So the Antichrist is going to be Satan incarnate, mm-hmm. right, uh, in the flesh. And until then, what John is telling us, and what obviously we could probably see, is that we're going to have previews of what that's like. Okay. You know, and so the spirit of, or and he's saying, hey, many antichrist have come. You know, we're going to have the spirit of the antichrist that, you know, they're going to have small previews and not to get too theological. But I think there's some reasonings for that uh, because Satan's not omniscient and doesn't know when God's going to say, OK, now we're going to start the end yeah. times. And so he kind of has to have a man on the table ready to go. And so that's why we don't know exactly who the antichrist is going to be. You know, like some people thought, oh, it, it could have been Hitler yeah. in in 1940s, you know, World War II. And if that is when God was going to start in times, like it very well could. So I always think Satan's going to have a guy on the table ready to go that could be the Antichrist because he doesn't know because nobody knows nobody except knows the Father. Yep. yep, you know. And so and so that's where the spirit of these Antichrist is going to be, not just in Satan having a guy ready to, to fulfill the role into he would – then if if God starts in times uh, this last campaign of things, he would indwell him and, and you know, uh, but I think there's also just the the broken world 
is going to have the spirit of Antichrist. And so just like a movie, you watch previews, you don't have the full thing, but you have previews of what it's going to be like, not to the same intensity, not to the same duration or anything like that, but there's previews of it. And, and that's what John is saying. He's like, we're in the end times, meaning the moment Jesus ascended back to heaven and we said, started that clock. yeah, we started that clock. Yeah. And so a lot of people are like, we're in end times because of Russia and all this. And I talk about it in the sermon. So go back and watch it. It's like, no, no, you don't look to the world. You look to Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and, and I think that's a scheme of Satan is, yeah. oh yeah, look to the world and the blood moons and the purple rainbows and the whatever other, you know, cosmological craziness, craziness is going on. It's like, of course it's the end times. And it's like, no, he just doesn't want you to focus on Jesus, but we're going to have the spirit of that a lot. And, and that's a hard passage because what's John say? Anybody that denies Jesus is God, that is, that is birthed out of the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist. <sighs> Which, you know, you ask, even in America, like how many people believe in God and, you know, the, the vague, ambiguous concept that our culture holds as God, higher power, whatever, a divine being, whatever they want to say, the percent is pretty high. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe there's got to be someone up there. There's got to be something, you know. Um, but then when you say, oh, do you believe in Jesus? 100% God, 100% man that came, died on the cross, resurrected, you know. That's the fork in the road. That's the fork in the road. Then that number drastically drops. And so when we deny what John is saying, when we deny Jesus as Lord, that's the spirit of the Antichrist, which is like not a crass way, but at least a very like, we're talking about some serious stuff here. Like, understand. Yeah. It's in your face. Yeah. Because you talked Sunday um, through that same lens of, um, oh, man, I just forgot. I have a perfect hard. on-ramp. <laughs> um, Spirit of the Antichrist. Yep, it wasn't. Uh, Denying Jesus. Nope. nope. Wasn't there. Don't. Oh, counterfeits. Counterfeits. You talked through the lens of counterfeits of... And, and we, we've talked about this before on the podcast briefly. We've talked about it. It's kind of a cultural thing here at Calvary, um, referencing that, that counterfeit idea of we expect the counterfeit to be this black and white, very clear. Oh, yeah. Bold-faced oh. lie. You know, like that's Red a— Red devil with horns yep. and a pitchfork. Yep. And- you know, that is not a $20 bill. That's a $20 Monopoly money. Yeah. Like, very clearly, it's bright pink or whatever color it is. Yeah. And it's... 20s are green in Monopoly, I believe. Of course. The 50s I hate that game pink. more than anything in the world. <laughs> so, because no one knows family division. It. Oh, my gosh. And everybody has their own rules. But, yeah, that's what we think. Like, that's the analogy that we use a lot here, is that's what we think. When we think counterfeits is, oh, Satan's going to roll up with Monopoly money, and we're all going to see it. Yeah. And I said even Sunday, like, Jesus and Matthew said it. Paul has said it. Peter has said it. Like, do not be deceived. John has said it. Why Why do they all keep saying, don't be deceived, let me tell you the truth? Because people are going to be deceived. And I think that deception is going to come out of a, a heart of being vague mm-hmm. about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so when we don't know really the specifics of the counterfeit, uh, of the, the specifics of the truth, counterfeits are going to be really hard to pinpoint. You yeah. know, just like stay with the money analogy you know like it's a counterfeit's going to be very close to the real thing and there's only going to be a few things that are going to be off you know because again truth can't follow deception deception follows truth 
truth can exist without deception. Deception cannot exist without truth. Yep. And so you can't forge Van Gogh's Starry Night without having a without having Starry Night. Star, yeah. yeah, exactly. You can't just create a painting and be like, oh, this is you know you challenge have, accepted. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. We're gonna start doing some Van Gogh stuff. <laughs> and so. Um, and then go going with the art analogy because I love I love art, especially that concept of how like there's some serious dudes that are about trying to do forgeries. Uh, one guy was being interviewed because he was like convicted yeah. and got busted for doing art forgeries. He's like, I know right now, at least three of my pieces are hanging in museums. Are hanging in museums. Let's go. And it's like that's crazy, you know. But there were so many little nuance and quirks and different things that different artists would do. And that's what those experts focus in on. Not because they signed it, not because it looks kind of like it. Like, hey, if this is a real Picasso Van Gogh, like this is what we should see. Yeah. Same thing with like signatures. Like I love that on Pawn Stars. Mm -hmm. You know, they authenticate signatures of artists, uh, football players, whatever it would be. And it's like presidents, like they know hey, their A always looks like this and it's swooping and moves yeah. and yours doesn't do that or it does. And it's like, like you have to get that specific about details to be able to know, is this a counterfeit or not? And I, I fully believe, like I don't think maybe, no, I fully believe that's what Satan's gonna do. Like we gotta know the details, the specifics, or you know, if we just stay kind of vague and we just, eh, if you just squint, yeah, it kind of looks like a Van Gogh. Like if that's our view uh, of the truth, then when a counterfeit comes across, like we're going to be able, that's not, that's going to be hard to be able to determine yeah. is that real or not. But if we know the truth well, and then when the deception comes to follow it, it's like, eh, that's yeah. going to, it's going to be very blatant to us, but it's only blatant because we know the truth, not because the counterfeit is going to be blatant. Mm. And that's, that's our culture. Yeah. I feel like more and more that's our culture right now is mm -hmm. to be vague yeah. Or, hey, this is a hard-hitting passage. I'm I'm going to let my foot off the gas. I may not hit the brake, so to speak. Yeah. But I'm I'm not going to just continue pressing forward, which is which is fun for us here cuz at Calvary, we we just walk through a book of the Bible. So you yeah. have the context from yeah. the week before. You may not know like you've done one verse, two verses. We may not do a whole, you know, chunk or section, but yeah. you know Last week, we ended chapter two. This coming Sunday, we're going to start three. Where it ends, the dead matter. We're going to yeah. have the first two chapters of reference and mm -hmm. understanding to build on. And that's the key, too, is like, don't forget what we talked about last Sunday or the Sunday before. Like, when we're walking through First John, like, it, it's building yep. on it. Like, you can't—they're not one-off messages because the text isn't just a one-off thing. Yeah. And even where the chapter and verse divisions— aren't necessarily in some of the best spots. So sometimes like, oh, I read chapter two and it makes sense and I'm on chapter three and we think it's like a different thought, yeah. you know, and sometimes, cause those were added like 1500 years after mm -hmm. the time of writing. And it's like, those were just helped to be reference points. You know, yeah. John wasn't writing being like John three sixteen. they're gonna love this. Yeah. <laughs> You know, this is going to go down in history. Yeah, it's exactly. The most well-known Bible. Go ahead and start getting the tattoos now. As you, <laughs> you start the trend. <laughs> Sorry. Cause that's like that. I feel like even for me, I always do this confession time, uh, transparency time. Here we go. Um, I always do this when we get to genealogies in scripture. Yeah. You know, it's like, is it really that important? <laughs> like, can I just skip over this section? Like the next four chapters are just going to be names and people. This is not helpful for me, or I'm just going to 
Butcher the name. Butcher the name and pronounce it as best I can, yeah. like someone out there actually knows how to pronounce it sitting in the audience. Um, you know, but you see that in our, our culture so much more, this vagueness. Yeah. Going, you know, thinking through that like, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah. Do you believe in the God? Yeah. Or do you believe in a God? Those are yeah. two very different yeah. things. And where like, and I'm kind of with you, you know, like obviously the scripture tells us all scripture is profitable. And I would say not all scripture is equally profitable. Mm -hmm. So like right now, if if I had to smuggle in and I could only take like five pages of scripture with me, mm -hmm. uh, like if I got arrested and, and I have my Bible here and it's like, OK, I'm going to I can't smuggle the whole thing in, but I'm going to smuggle in some pages yep. like I'm probably not going to grab like Second Chronicles when it's four chapters of genealogy. Mm. Where those names are never listed again, and that's we know crazy nothing about that's them. That's crazy. That's what I would have taken. That, that's what, well, maybe you need paper, <laughs> but if you're <laughs> if you're taking it for scripture reasons, <laughs> it'd be something different. <laughs> if you're just looking for paper, because there are a hundred different reasons, but half fly. Uh, <laughs> but like, if you're if you're hey, if I could only have a few pages of scripture to read to meditate on. Yeah, especially in a in a sense of like I'm gonna be in a crazy persecution. What am I gonna take? Yeah, you know. And and what's hard about that is so so all scripture is profitable, but sometimes we go to the wrong context of it. Like you're saying, where if you're vague on the genealogies you find in Second Chronicles, like I'll say it. I'm a pastor. There's grace there. You know, probably not going to change your salvation and yeah. viewpoints of the rest of Scripture. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, did did Methuselah really begot Jared? Like, if you you know, and that could be false. I don't know. Like, I don't have that portion of Genesis memorized. <laughs> but like you said, it. But the problem is, like, okay, so we can. There is an acceptableness of like, okay, that's probably not the top of my priority list is to know the genealogies. Yeah. Especially since the New Testament says, don't worry about genealogies and all the useless, silly myths. It's like, praise the Lord. Thank you, uh, Paul. Um, but don't don't take that same vagueness to all areas of mm. Scripture. That's where we need to be specific. And honestly, in end times, um, end times and the Holy Spirit, I think. You look at Acts and then the end times are the two areas that the church is just so widely separated and a lot of times we get real vague on those. And that's scary because that's the very thing that we're waiting on. Mm. Like, if you're going to be vague on anything, don't be vague on the thing that we're waiting yeah. to happen. Yep. You know, be vague on the genealogies. Be vague on, like, exactly where did Paul go on a missionary journeys? Like, I, I can't quote it right now of where he went on his missionary journeys, which some people are like, how could you even be a pastor? And it's like, uh, but I, under I understand the message and the mission that yeah. he was on, you know. And so, like, don't take that general vagueness and apply it to everything. Mm -hmm. Like, let's be specific. Uh, let's make sure we get the the main things right. Yeah. And and not trying to get the non-essentials right. Yeah. Which is, you know, now we're getting into denominations and different things like that where yeah. we take non-essential issues and we make them the main things. Let's let's keep the main things the main things. And so I think talking about counterfeits, like, so how do we keep the main thing the main thing? Well, if if denying Jesus is from the spirit of the Antichrist, well, how do we defend well is Jesus God? Because that is one of the biggest critiques that we have from critical scholars of the New Testament, which is crazy to think about. But there's some there's some minds out there, some guys that are extremely knowledgeable of the New Testament mm -hmm. 
and and this isn't judgment. This is and they're just wrong. Yeah. I mean, they know more about the New Testament than I do, hands down. And I'll, I would hate to debate them. Yeah. Because they're just some heavy hitters. But regardless, again, going back, even though they have this great biblical knowledge and understanding of the text, they have no faith in it. Mm. And it's like, that's, and so uh, we, we don't want that either, where we just have all this head knowledge, but we don't believe in it. And so, but there is a lot of critical scholars that push back in the question that we get. Um, one of the attacks that you hear a lot is Jesus never claimed to be God. That's something the church keeps adding. Mm -hmm. Well, if John is writing and he's saying, hey, he who denies Jesus is God, that's from the spirit of the Antichrist, that's probably a main point that we need to get well. Yeah. Instead of exactly what's the genealogy of, you know, yeah. Noah's second son. Go look it up. I mean, there's a lot of things it's like, yeah, yeah. I'll look that up, but what what's what do I want my working knowledge to be in the things that really matter? And so you know, and, and especially with counterfeits and counterfeit gospels and world religions, you know, one of the things I, I really believe is the three areas that we are attacked the most are uh, on the word of God, on creation, mm -hmm. and on the person of Jesus. Mm. You know, it's like those are the things I want to I want a strong working knowledge yeah. because those are the most like if we know where the enemy is going to attack, study those areas. Yeah. You know, like even even personally, like if you know, hey, I struggle with this. Put some walls up for defense in that. Instead like, of running away from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if we know, like, hey, I get a lot of questions about the problem of evil, that's probably a sign that you need to do some study about it. And how do we answer that biblically instead of just allowing our vagueness to drag? Because that's going to be a foothold for more doubts mm -hmm. to pull us away from God. So lean into it. And so for me, like having a strong working knowledge and understanding of, you know, and again, like you, you think of Christology, which is study of Christ. Um, you can take classes. Mm -hmm. You could take uh, full degrees mm -hmm. that study that. Like you're not going to have every nuance, but like in in those working knowledge, I have four to five concepts. Yeah. That's like, hey, this is a good foundational foundation that I have on those working things or whatever, and so. That's what I was going to geek out on if we have time. We've got we've got as much time because they as can hit pause and go do whatever they want and then come back to this, right? That's exactly right. Amen. We we can put a we can put like a nice little you know musical section interlude? in here and an interlude like oh. a like and then we'll do that. Look we're at we're us. gonna take a we're gonna take a break for one second. Yeah. When we come back, we're gonna geek out over this idea, and Nick is gonna unpack it even more. Not only for for my sake. <laughs> Because I'm going to take notes right along with you. But for your sake, go grab a pen, piece of paper, your Bible. You're going to need it. We're going to dive in and geek out over this when we come back. We're back. And, and we're going to full-on geek out. So get now, ready. If you're new to the podcast or you're new to Calvary, that's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. So You want to give it a two-minute? Yeah, uh, I'll give it a 30-second. Yeah, there um, you go. Here at Calvary, Nick, uh, every once in a while, Nick likes to geek out. And when he does so, he uses a TV, his own TV that he has complete control of on the stage. We don't get slides in the back, and he just walks through two to five-ish slides. 
and it's become kind of a cultural norm here at Calvary. Yeah. Where, when people see the TV on the stage when they walk into the sanctuary or they're watching online, they know, oh, Nick's going to geek out about something today. And it's really cool because, like, I'll, I'll throw up these slides just, you know, to help visually because uh, there's so much content. It's like, hey, we need to, like, having something visual to walk through, building on it helps so much. But when there are so many times that I'll see people, they'll lift up their phones. Start taking pictures. Start taking yep. pictures of that. And they'll come up. And finally, I think it was somebody who was like, can we get copies of that? And it's like, absolutely. Yep. You know, and so now every time you see the TV out, you'll have people rush to the hub and they're, hey, I, I would like to I get a copy that. and they're signing up and uh, which is cool. And and honestly, geeking out like that wasn't somebody else coined it. Really? It wasn't us like they I think I might have said it, but somebody like I love when you geek out and it was uh, uh, Gary Richardson. Oh, really? Yeah. He said, I wish I could go back through all the sermons and just grab your geek outs yep. and make those like uh, like an Ooh. Instagram page or a YouTube page like these are just rando just Nick, Nick geeking out geek outs or whatever like sw- you know the topics and stuff but yeah that's where geeking out comes from so it, it's an intentional uh dig deep because like on the sermons like my goal is okay what is edifying to the whole body you mm-hmm. got you got some people that might not even be believers yep. in the congregation which we love you have some people that are new believers young in their faith yep which we love and we're okay with that they're messy. They still look like the world. They're still yep. sex, drug, and rock and roll and cussing. And it's like, you know, but hey, God's got a hold of their heart and he's doing a process. So we're okay with that. And then, and then, and then you move up to the process just of mature believers. Mm-hmm. And so writing sermons and things through, it's like, how, you know, where's the bullseye? Where do I want to get close? Cause like you just have such a mix multitude yeah. of maturity. And so every once in a while, I want to geek out because I want to go. I want to go deep right here for a moment just to show that our faith is actually uh, a lot deeper than what we think mm. at times. Like none of us are just like hanging out in the kiddie pool of Christianity and no, no, no. Like as deep as you want to go, you can, you can. Yeah. And that's for me what I love about the geek outs. And a lot of times, you know, people will come up and it's like either one, I, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Two, that answered questions that I struggled with mm. because you geeked out or whatever. Yeah. And so I try to do it few and far between because I don't want it to be a Bible college class because that's not the purpose of the Sit pulpit. <laughs> that should be a book. What's the purpose of the pulpit? Um, it's probably out there. Note to self. Note to self. <laughs> write that down and write that <laughs> book. Um, but like, so we, I, I, but I want to be able to show like there is some depth that we can we can keep walking out and and keep trusting the lord in because we really do have an intellectual faith not a blind faith but a faith that is based on evidence that we can we can look at and we can go deeper in and because again critical scholars and just people critical of christianity all you guys are just weak-minded and it's like not actually like this is some pretty deep stuff which yeah so so, so that's a geek out. Sorry, we so took more than no, no, it's all good. Um, so let's let's wade into the the, the the deep end of the spiritual pool, um, and let's <laughs> answer the question and give us some of that evidential yeah. faith. Oh, that's good. that we talked about before the break. So the so the question, you know, is Jesus God? Did he claim to be God? And and the question is different than if somebody says, "I don't know if I believe Jesus is God." 
that's a whole nother topic. Or I don't believe that Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. But did Jesus claim to be God? Is Jesus God? And so I think the questions, the answers that we have to those questions are kind of similarly related because Jesus claimed to be God. And I'm going to give proof for it, which I help, I think helps in our stance. Is Jesus God? He claimed to be it, and we're going to show ways for it. So is he God? I, I believe yes. And I'm putting my faith in what I am seeing. And this is built on a foundation of, I believe the scriptures to be true and, and without error and inspired that we really do have what was originally written. This is the inspired word of God from the spirit of God, superintending men um, through their own styles of writing. Like, you know, that's the whole definition or whatever. But and so there's already a foundational because a lot of people are like, oh, you're just saying that because the Bible says so. Well, if the Bible's authoritative, you can take it, yeah. you know. Like you, you let authority speak. And so, and that could be a whole nother geek out or topic on the yep. breakdown is like, okay, Nick, why do you hold the Bible to be true? Um, and so I'm already up a couple steps of the foundation having that. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, so if I know that God is real, that the Bible is true, then, and now I'm looking at the person of Jesus, Yeah, you know? And so his claim to be God, which uh, I want to say this, politely but straightforward you know when people say jesus never claimed to be god um, sometimes people's statements let me know uh their level of 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 involvement in stepping into the question so to say it bluntly when somebody says jesus never claimed to be god they're really just kind of showing their ignorance yep. to me and i mean ignorant not in a negative context just ignorant means not knowing yeah it's like you really haven't dove deep into this study because yeah. again regardless if you believe that jesus is a god or not to say jesus never claimed to be god you've never really jumped into the study of it yeah. because there's no way that you could read the scriptures and walk away and be like he never even claimed to be god what are these christians talking about it's like sorry dude love you mean it but no yeah that he he absolutely did and so i just want to give you some lines of evidence um, and so this is where you're going to be like jotting down all these crazy verses yep. and the topics and stuff like that. So, so the first thing we have to know and understand is, is God in the Old Testament, um, their understanding uh, of who God was, was, was fairly limited, mm -hmm. as is ours. Like how, do, how does a finite mind understand the infinite? And so obviously under those kind of limitations, but the fullness of like the Trinity and stuff like that yeah. doesn't come until the New Testament. There, there's, I think there's evidence of it. There's hinting in the Old Testament. and But what we do know is in the Old Testament, God declared himself, like think of uh, Moses at the burning bush, you know, I am who I am. And so God gives us his proper name. Mm -hmm. God says, I'm Yahweh. I'm this covenant keeping God with Israel. I'm Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. Because when you see in the Old Testament anywhere the capital L-O-R-D, yep. that is that is a direct reference to the proper name of mm -hmm. God being Yahweh. Now, if you see the capital L but then lowercase L-O-R-D, that's either Elohim or Adonai, which are uh, titles given to God, but not names. Yep. There you go. And those titles are used in other contexts yep. that are that are not trying to defend divinity because they're used, you know, like just like Lord, you can use the same thing like that. Like 
you can talk of Jesus and he is Lord. You can talk about a king over a country and, oh, that's Lord Farquaad. And I thought the same yeah. name. <laughs> Shrek. I'm so sorry. Short little guy. <laughs> he had good hair, though. I don't have hair. But it's a, that word Lord can be used different. But when you see the capital L-O-R-D of it, that is Yahweh. That's his proper name. That's that. He is that covenant-keeping God with Israel. What Jesus reveals to us is that he is Yahweh of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. you know, which is another difference between even like the angel of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, you hear the angel of the Lord. Well, that's pre-incarnate Christ. And so that's because you never see the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. Yeah, you're going to want to write that down. It's only in the Old Testament. Why is it not in the New Testament? Because the Lord came. Jesus Christ came. And so the angel of the Lord didn't, couldn't appear in the New Testament because he was there in the person of Jesus. Boom. Roasted. There, he roasted right there. <laughs> and so Jesus claims to be Yahweh of the Old Testament. So what does the Old Testament say about Yahweh? A couple little things. <clears throat> because if you, if you take just a, uh, a, a, what were we saying, a vague view of it, you know, you'd probably say, oh, there's some contradictions here, mm-hmm. but let's dig into the theology. And so Isaiah 44, verse 6 says, Thus says the Lord, this is Yahweh, thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord, the Yahweh of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And even in verse 7, he kind of goes on like, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. And he's like, nobody's like me. Like, I, I am completely unique and different than... Set apart. Set apart. That's what holy means. Mm-hmm. It's holy. There we go. And so Yahweh is, there's no one like me, right? And so that's, that's clear. And even if you turn the page and go to 42, I think it's like verse 8. Um, I'm trying to read around my mic so I can stay in the mic and you can hear me good. So 42 verse eight of Isaiah says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, that is my name. So he's, he's flat out telling us, that's my name, not my title, that's my name. And my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved out. Like he's not sharing his praise, he's not sharing his glory with anyone. Yeah. That is a clear theological doctrinal stance. I mean, think of Exodus 20. There's no other gods before me. Like it, it is God, it is Yahweh, and nothing else. Period. Period. Yep. Right? Okay. So we, we let that kind of just sit and marinate in our hearts. And and then you fast forward a couple uh, hundred years, not more than a couple, but you get to the New Testament, you get Jesus on the scene. So we're talking uh, maybe a thousand years. I mean, there's at least 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and, and the beginning, beginning of the New. Right? So at least 400 years in some places Uh, Obviously, a little bit more depending on how early into the Old Testament you're getting. So Jesus rolls up on the scene, and we already have a very solid uh, Old Testament understanding with the Jewish people, right? They know God, Yahweh said, I'm it. Mm -hmm. I'm one. I don't share my glory, nothing, right? And so Jesus rolls up on the scene, and in John 17, he has this high priestly prayer. But listen to what he says in John 17, 5. He's praying to the Father, and he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So how could Jesus share 
in the glory of the Father before the world existed, and now he's asking him to be glorified in his presence if in the Old Testament it says, I share my glory with no one. Mm. Because Jesus is Yahweh of the Old Testament. He's not sharing his glory with any. So we get a we get a fullness of the understanding of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and in they have the same essence. And so God is one in three persons. There's that little uh, mystery there. But they they Father, Son, Holy Spirit, do not share their glory with anyone. Mm -hmm. And so it's showing us that Jesus is that, uh, he is not that Yahweh. He is Yahweh of the Old Testament. And so he's letting us know, like, even even in the glory that is only due to God that you read in the Old Testament, that is is me. Um, And then, you know, with that other verse that was talking about, like, hey, I am am Yahweh, I'm the first and last. Well, what's Jesus say? Revelation 117. And so it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. These are words written in red, so we understand what that means. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the alpha, the omega. Like he's, he's telling us the same that Yahweh said in the Old Testament, I'm the first and the last, and I share my glory with no one. And he's and so we have Jesus rolling up in the New Testament saying, yeah, I'm I'm going to be clothed in the same glory that I had with the father before everything existed. I am the first and the last like I'm Yahweh of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. That's me. That's who I am. And then there's other little titles that we'll see of Yahweh of again. L.O.R.D. capital letters what we see of Yahweh in the Old Testament and Jesus affirms that's me. Yeah. So, you know, Psalm 23, we all love it, know it. The Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. And then John 10, Jesus tells us, I am the good shepherd. And it's like, so his his claims to divinity that he is Yahweh are, are real clear. Like Joel 3, he talks about he is the judge over humanity, right? Yahweh is that. And then you look fast forward, John 5, Matthew 25, Jesus is revealing to us, like, I'm that judge of humanity. And then there's even more. So like the term like bridegroom, Isaiah 62, Hosea 2, Yahweh is this bridegroom. uh, And he's saying that because Israel is the bride Mm -hmm. and she is a harlot of a bride because she keeps committing adultery, running away from her bridegroom. So that's not in a, like a fancy like, oh, oh we're getting so married. Or, yeah, you know, it's like, no, we're the adulterous <laughs> spouse that can't quit fornicating with everything around us. Like, understand. To put it nicely. Yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> let, let me say it softly right there. You're the adulterous <laughs> wife that can't, you know, be faithful to her husband. But then Jesus in Matthew 25, he says, I am the bridegroom. And so he's even taking these same titles that were attributed, like descriptions of who Yahweh is in the Old Testament. He's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yahweh's the, the, the shepherd, I'm the shepherd. Yahweh's the judge, I'm the judge. Yahweh's the bridegroom, I'm the bridegroom. Like, he's, he's really trying to get us to understand this because he's like, I don't want you to miss it. Yeah. You know, you go back to like Psalms 27.1. Psalm 27.1, and he's, Yahweh is light. Mm-hmm. And well, Jesus, and I think, what is it, John 8. Uh, I got my notes over here. John eight twelve. Jesus says, I am the light. And it's like he yeah, So it's not even just like one little line of evidence that he's saying, I'm Yahweh of the Old Testament. Like he's really just laying it out. And I think the best one is in Exodus three, where the angel of the Lord, which we already talked about. Mm-hmm. So there's Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord appears to Moses 
in this burning bush, mm. right? And uh, Moses bows, and it's allowed where any other angel, if they bow to him, they said, no, get up, quit, don't worship don't me. Worship me. Yep. But when the angel of the Lord is bowed down to, that is a proper response. Mm. So there's Jesus uh, pre-incarnate in the burning bush, and he's saying, hey, you're going to go deliver my people, Israel, because Israel is Yahweh's covenant people. And so you have the angel of the Lord saying, you're going to go deliver my people out of Egypt. And Moses is like, what's your name? Like, they're going to ask me like, okay, who, what God is this? And he's like, I am who I am. And that's where we get this self-existent title name of Yahweh, like the God in the burning bushes telling it like I am. Mm -hmm. That's who, that's who I am. Like, let them know I am who I am. And then so when you fast forward to, again, John in the New Testament, he's recording that Jesus, John eight fifty eight, before Abraham, I am. Mm -hmm. And so for every good Jew in the time of Jesus that knew and understood the Old Testament, they absolutely knew what Jesus was saying. Mm -hmm. He's claiming to be God. That's why they wanted to kill him for blasphemy. Mm -hmm. Well, what was he being blasphemous about? Claiming, Claiming. to be God. Yep. He's taking every attribute and title and name. Like, it's not even just like, oh, the, you know, Yahweh is a shepherd. I'm kind of like a shepherd. Yeah. No, he's like, I'm Yahweh. Like, understand this, you know. And even at that title, I, I am, that name, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane um, and, the, and the temple soldiers and, or police or whatever you want to call them roll up to arrest him. They're like, Jesus of Nazareth? And he's like, I am. And it's like that power of that name knocked them all down, yeah. which cracks me up because then they just get up and be like, okay, put your hands behind your back. You know, like if somebody says their what name happened? and that power knocks me over, I'll be like, yes, you are. And I'll see you later. Like, <laughs> goodbye. Yep. Have a good day. <laughs> Sorry for the inconvenience. But, you know, so when they roll up and they're like Jesus of Nazareth, they're asking for his identity. Yeah. Jesus reveals his greater identity to them. He's not just Jesus, the boy that was born in Bethlehem from Nazareth. Yep. That, no, no, no. His full identity, I am. You're asking my name. Yeah. You're asking my title. This is who I am. This is who I am. And it's that same from Exodus 3. And so there's power in that. And so the Jews absolutely understood this and wanted to kill him for it. And so, so for people to roll up, and this is only one line of evidence. Yep. Right? So people to roll up and say, Jesus never claimed to be God. And it's like, if that is true explain those five verses and that understanding yeah. for me like you because that, that's still there you have to tell me then then what did he really mean because he i mean just in those he flat out said it so here's yeah just on. because just because he claims it i'm gonna be that person oh he's gonna be that guy just because he claims it we still have a fork in the road oh yeah because i could roll up and be like i'm a doctor yeah <laughs> prove it that's ex yeah like yeah so we have jesus claiming these things yeah and more than even just what you said, but so let's take that. We have Jesus claiming these things. So that's line number one, and that's the part two that we need to understand is you have to collect all the evidence, not bits and pieces, not bits and pieces, and, yeah. right? Because like we we've all seen that little picture where like there's some picture, and our media loves just to take like a corner of it, and it makes and we twist what really happened. Yeah. You're, you know? um, and so think of like, we're a detective rolling in on a crime scene. And I know you're a crime scene. Mm, true, let's go. True crime podcast kind of dude or whatever. So we're a detective rolling up on the crime scene. We have to account for all the evidence. Like you can't just roll in and be like, I'm only going to use fingerprint evidence for this. 
Well, what if there's only two fingerprints? And that could give you the wrong person. Yeah, and just because, like, your fingerprint there doesn't mean you're the dude. Yeah. Now, if your fingerprint's on the gun, well, now that's another line of evidence is now there's a gun on the, yeah. yeah. So we have to account for all the evidence, and that's the other thing I push back on people uh, a little bit. It's like, okay, you, you believe that because of this line of evidence, but you still have to account for everything else. Yeah. So the detective still has to account, not just for the fingerprints that he wants to use, but what about all the blood? What mm. about all the fibers? What about eyewitness testimony? What about the security camera? Like, you still have to give an account for all that evidence. You just can't pick and choose. Yeah. So right now, yeah. So claim number one, Jesus claimed it. He said it. Now, did his, yeah, his life's going to have to defend that. Yeah. You know, so he absolutely claimed it. And so now, um, what do we see Jesus doing so he said he was Yahweh, he was the Messiah. Now is he doing the things that only God can do? Which is our second line of, a line of evidence. And so Jesus claimed to be equal with God in some of the actions of it. And so I think one of the clearest ones is when um, he rolls up on a dude and he tells him, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees were there. Mm-hmm. And, and the part that sometimes we skip over is Jesus understands their thoughts. Could you imagine sitting next yeah. to Jesus? You have a thought, and he looks over and you answers it. Not creepy at all. Yeah, like imagine you're just sitting there and you're like, I wonder what we're going to have for dinner. And Jesus just looks over and be like, pepperoni pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? So weird. That's what happened. Get out of my head. And even though that happened, they still, you know— their hearts were hardened to Jesus. But so Jesus rolls up on a leper, not a leper, I'm sorry, uh, uh, a lame guy. And not like lame, like how we use the word lame, like he can't walk, can't walk, laying on a bed. And he tells him like, hey, your sins are forgiven. Which and, only God can do. Which only God can do. And sometimes we see that and be like, the guy wants to walk, you know, like why, why? Because again, Jesus was more concerned about the spiritual issue than the physical. And, but he says, okay, what's easier then? Because he starts getting at some some uh, the the Pharisees are clapping back at him a yeah. little bit and be like, hey, only God can forgive sins. He goes, all right, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and take up, get up, take up your mat and leave. And he's like, all right, I'll do that then, to show you that I am forgiving sins. It's like a double whammy. Yeah, because they believed that any person's physical ailment was due to their sin nature. Mm-hmm. So he, which I. I don't hold to 100%. Like, yeah. just because you have a physical thing doesn't mean that's a sin issue. Can, yeah, but not 100%, where the Jews did. He's like, all right, let's go down your wrong thinking even. Mm-hmm. You believe this person is lame and laying on this bed because he's a sinner. So get up and take your mat. So if he gets up, takes his mat, and walks away, that's showing that his sins are forgiven, even in the wrong view of the Jewish people. And they say, well, who can forgive sins but God? And like all Jesus had to do was like the dude is walking away, you know, like he he you say he is lame because he sin because of his sin. He's a sinner. He's up and walking. His sins are forgiven. Well, who can do that? But God, he goes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Only God can forgive sins. Well, Jesus, you forgive sins. Only God. Case in point. Can forgive sins. Yeah. Right? And so then you move forward. You know, there's a couple other things. Like we know uh, God in the Old Testament very clearly stated that he is the giver of life, that he raises the dead. And so then you move to John 5, 25, verse 29. 
even in verse 21, it's showing that Jesus is the one that claimed equality with God because he's, he was the giver of life. He's raising people from the dead, which normally didn't happen. You know, that wasn't a normal thing that people, oh, yeah, you know, I went over and saw my Uncle Freddie. He died. I brought him back from the dead. Like, that is, those were things only God did. Yeah. You know, author of life, giver of life, raising the dead. And he even says in John five twenty three, like, just as the father is honored, the son needs to be honored in mm-hmm. the same way. So it's like the same reverence and respect that, that this culture, community, trying to worship Yahweh, yeah, that's me, and the same. That's you need to respond to me the exact same way. So he's claiming equality with God, not just in titles and in name, but also in what he is doing. Mm -hmm. Like John the Baptist, he had his disciples, and 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 I think in a moment of like maybe a little bit of doubt, John's arrested. He's going to get beheaded, and he's like, "Dang, is this really how this is going to go down?" Like I thought we were setting up the kingdom. I thought this was going to go differently, and. He sends his disciples to Jesus and he's like, dude, you need to ask him, like, are you the one? Are we looking for another one? Like, did I miss something? Yeah, because I would have thought this would have planned out differently. And Jesus responds. And I think his response is so great. One, he just kind of throws the ball back in their court. He's like, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you see? Mm -hmm. You tell me, you know what the Messiah should be doing, which Messiah is God. Like that is clear in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that. Like, you know what the Messiah should be doing when he shows up. What do you see me doing? Mm. The blind can see, the lame are walking, the poor have uh, the good news preached to them, the dead are raised. Like, you tell me. How much more proof do you yeah, need? Yeah, only, only Messiah is going to be doing these things. And you know that from the Old Testaments. And you look at me, and I'm the only one doing those yeah. things. Like, if the shoe fits, you know. Wear it. And I always use that passage to like when people say, hey, are you a Christian? And instead of saying yes, just look at them and say, hey, what do you see and what do you hear? Ooh. You tell me. You, you understand Ooh. what Christians should be doing from the New Testament. Yeah. Do you see those same things in me? And so Jesus gave him that same kind of like challenge. Like you understand the Messiah. You know the Old Testament scriptures. You know what you should be expecting. Yeah. And so he's quoting the Old Testament in his response to them. And it's like the... The Old Testament says Messiah will be doing these things. Here I am doing these very same things. Mm. Yes, I am God. You know, mm. um, another cool line. So he claimed to be Yahweh, claimed to be equal with God in, in his actions. He also accepted worship on 10 different occasions. Mm. So like we've talked about, um, Exodus 20, 10 commandments, it says there should be no other God before me. We only, you know, you worship no other gods. Even in Acts 14, when Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, I believe. Mm-hmm. They, uh, the people, started trying to sacrifice and worship those two, and they're like, "Oh, this is Zeus and whoever that has come to us." And they're like, "Stop!" Yeah, they they tear their clothes and run out there. It's like, "Stop doing this!" Like you're you're in great sin right yeah. now because we worship God only. And so Jesus allows himself to be worshipped multiple times. Mm-hmm. Now think about it. So C.S. Lewis has a great line. He talks about Jesus. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. So a lot of people say yes. Like when people say like Jesus didn't exist, that again, that's a that's an ignorance. Like you haven't like the person Jesus absolutely existed 2000 years ago. Now, the question is he Lord. That's what we're answering. Is he God? 
he allowed himself to be worshipped. Now, if he was just a good moral teacher, which is what they'll say, yeah. yeah, there was Jesus, but he was just a good moral teacher. A good moral teacher trying to point people to God would not allow himself to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. The angels wouldn't even allow it. Wouldn't even allow it. I mean, how many times do we see an angel appear to a man, man bows down, and it's like, get up, right? Which, I'm sorry, if an angel showed up, I'd probably bow too. Just Absolutely. In, just out of a slight fear, because they always had to say, fear not. Okay. It's not helpful. Yeah. Read all the description of angels in the Old Testament and tell me that you're not going to be fearful, right? And just appear. And so, but Jesus allows himself to be worshipped uh, on 10 different occasions. Just to give you a few, you know, Matthew 8, Matthew 9, a leper and a ruler. Even the disciples, when he calmed the storm, mm-hmm. Matthew 14 gets in the boat, and they bow and they worship him. Now, if he wasn't, you know, again, he's trying to point people to God. He's trying to reveal God to them. If he is not God, the most immoral thing that Jesus could do is allow himself to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the worst thing that you could do. But he's like, no, this is a proper response to me. Why? Because I am God, and this mm. is how you should respond to me. So it's not even in his title. It's not even in what he has done, but he reveals that he is God by what he allows man to do mm. in response to him which I think is huge, yeah. right? And so, uh, calm in the storm, you have the Canaanite woman, the mother of James and John, so Matthew 15, Matthew 20, Mark 5, even a, a demon-possessed dude walks up and bows to him, which just shows like every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Even the demons bow down and recognize that Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't worship him, but they bowed. They knew his place. They they knew their place. They yep. knew the authority that Jesus has as God. So even this demon possessed man, so the demon inside the man sees God in this person of Jesus because he is God. It's like, yeah, you're. Yeah, I mean, you're it. And Jesus tells him like, shut up, get out of it, like don't. And that's the other crazy thing too. Like think of the one demon possessed dude where Jesus. Uh, pulls the demon out and throws them into the pigs. Oh, and they all go running off. Yeah. yeah, they all go running off or whatever. So he rolls up the demon-possessed man, and he proclaims, like, you're the holy anointed one. Da, da, da. And and again, Jesus silences him instead of allowing him to proclaim who he is, which, like, if it was any other way, like, if I was just a mere man trying to gain authority and position. What a better way what a better way you got, you know, and it's like, no, no, no. So even Jesus, again, restricting uh, demonic behavior, even proclaiming him, but he's allowing human behavior to Mm. respond to him as God. Like that's, it's kind of crazy. And then, uh, you know, John nine, a blind man. And so not even all 10, but there's 10 different occasions that Jesus accepted worship. Why? Because he's God. He, he wants men to give a proper response to God. And so when he is worshiped, and he allows it. Yeah. He goes, that, that's a proper response. Good job. That's, what, that's how you're supposed to respond to God. Mm. And you understand that I am God. Um, equal authority with God is kind of a fun one. So if you uh, want to turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We know both passages, and so you just have to kind of like tie them together. And it's like, uh, I remember the first time I really studied this, I was like, oh, I never saw that. That's so good. So Matthew 5, Jesus is in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? And he's talking about the law. And he is saying, where do I want to be? Like Matthew 5, 18. 
I'll start in 17. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Verse 18 key. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot, some versions might have a dot or a tittle, uh, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Meaning like the very pinstroke that separates a, an O from an A, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a lowercase L from a T, just every little, every little just move of the pin, everything's going to be accomplished. Nothing will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And so he just, he really affirms the law of God, which is phenomenal. And, you know, everybody would have said, absolutely. You know, the law was a huge thing in that day. But then move to Matthew 24. So later in Matthew's gospel, he's recording Jesus talking. So if you're just listening, you're probably hearing all the pages flip and spin and all that craziness. Um, one more page for me. Matthew 25, 24, verse 35, and he's talking about a lesson from the fig tree, and he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So early in the ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, he affirms the law, mm -hmm. and it is all gonna be accomplished, and he puts his same words on that same level. That'd be blasphemous if he was not God. Mm. So even my words, that authority that I have in my words um, is showing that he is equality with God. He requested prayer in his name. Like, and th that's another sign of worship. Like you, you only pray to God. You, you only pray to Yahweh. But if you pray to Jesus, acceptable. Mm -hmm. But if you pray to anybody else, not acceptable. Yeah. Even to this day. <laughs> Still, not trying to get into two other uh, denominations, but you only pray to God. Yeah. And you see the disciples, again, following that behavior. They pray in Jesus' name, just as he commanded, and they pray to Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like that is inacceptable because Jesus is God. And same thing, like you know, you're saying, like, pray in my name. Think of even the baptism formula. I baptize you in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Like, he is on par equality all with God yep. all the way through. And you see it, again, multiple areas. One that I really like, I think is kind of a unique one, is, you know, we knew from Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would speak in parables, mm -hmm. right? So Jesus uses parables. That's one light of defense, but you can go a little bit deeper. So parables are these just kind of cool little stories about normal everyday activities, but he does them in a way that he wants to teach a deeper spiritual truth. So that the person that wants truth will get it. And the person that's just there for dinner and a show, yeah. like, I don't know. He's just talking about, you know, throwing some seed in the thorns and on the road and in some good soil. And, yeah, there's a crop. Like, everybody knows that. And, like, those that have, like, spiritually eyes and ears open, they they're understand. like, oh, he talked about so much more. Yeah. You know? But in, I think there's, like, 52 parables that Jesus had. In 20 of them, he sets it up where he is in the place of God to teach the response to God. Mm. He puts himself in that. So it's like if my kids are playing family at home, like, mm -hmm. oh, let's play house and you be the mom and I'll be the, like, if my son places himself in the place of dad, like, and, and this is how you respond to him, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's putting himself in the place of God yeah. so that he could teach a deeper understanding of how you are, or how you are not to respond to God and what God is doing. 
It's like, so there's just another kind of unique way that Jesus did that. And a lot of times we don't see the parables like that. Because mm. in, in the Pharisees, even in their refusal, there's times that they understood it. Because it says they perceived, the Pharisees, that Jesus was talking about them mm. and how they rejected God. So in this cute little parable, even the Pharisees like, oh, he's talking about us, that we're rejecting God by rejecting Jesus mm -hmm. because he put himself in that place in the parable. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Um, and then the last one that I wrote down is the disciples acknowledge Jesus's claim to be God. So like those that knew him best, what did they see? Like me and you spend some time together. Yeah. Like 40 hours a week. A lot of time together. God bless your ministry. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's about time somebody recognizes. <laughs> Some people just have a <laughs> cross to bear. and, and His name do, is Nick. And his name, <laughs> I'm the cross that you have to deal with and to bear up, right? And so, like, you, m more than most people, see, you see me at my worst, you see me at my best, and, and you, you have a good understanding of it. Like, Nick is just a dude. Yeah. We joke about good vicar. It, I, I am just a dude, yeah. right? And you've seen me in my full humanity and whatever. The disciples walked with Jesus for three years, have been in some intense moments with Jesus when he's exhausted, when he's tired, when he's frustrated, when he's mad. It's like if anybody knew Jesus, it would have been them. Yeah. If he slipped up, they would have caught yeah, him. Yeah, if there would have been one thing like, oh, yeah, remember that one time and Jesus, yeah, caught him on the Internet The lady again. cut him off in the boat. And oh, yeah. Just told her. <laughs> yeah. Riding the donkey yep. into Jerusalem. That's exactly right. in, the, in the slow lane and just was Move honking out the, the way. Yeah, come on. What did they see? And so you see the response even of the disciples, and I'm sure the resurrection had a whole lot to do with that because that's – that's more when we see the boldness. That's a, it's actually a line of defense to, is the resurrection true? Look at the response of the disciples mm -hmm. to Jesus. Even under the threat of death, they held to it. You know, if it was a lie, why would they die for a lie? Not worth it. You know, because the, the leading theory is, oh, the disciples stole the body. And yeah, I've like, heard that. Yeah. And it's like, if they really did, the moment that their life was on risk for it, like, why would you die for that? Knowing that you stole the body, you hid it over in Bob's field. Like, no. They fully believed and saw a resurrected Jesus, yep. and they were willing to die for it. But even in their ministry and in their lives, like they, they, the same titles that are given to God about deity, they gave to Jesus. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, so when they're talking about God, they talked about Jesus, and it was the same. Yeah. You know, they, they put him on the same par. Um, they considered Jesus to be the Messiah. We see that all through the New Testament. Like, hey, we found the Messiah. Like, that was even some of the ways that they the disciples were telling each other, like, hey, we found him, you know, like uh, Andrew and Peter, and is it Nathaniel and, I'm blanking, it's the early part of like John 1 or John 2. It's like, hey, we found him, we found the Messiah. And so they absolutely believed Jesus to be the Messiah. Now, Daniel 7 tells us that the Messiah is God. Mm -hmm. So you can study Daniel 7, it shows us that the Messiah is God. Now, what's crazy is not only does the Bible affirm that Jesus is the Messiah, do you know what other uh, considered holy book affirms that Jesus is the Messiah? I don't know because we talked about it. But Are you having deja vu because we've done this once before? I don't know what you're talking about. That's a whole other story. The Quran mm -hmm. affirms that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Now, obviously, maybe their understanding of what Messiah meant stuff is off, but the Quran affirms, and they're, they don't really call them chapters and verses, but in the Quran, in the Surah 517, it affirms that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's like, you have even negative uh, anti whatever you want to say it like you have this book that is against Christianity saying yeah Jesus is the Messiah yeah. now we have to understand like now they just considered him you hear that like oh Islam just considers Jesus a prophet and it's like according to their own Quran it's more than a prophet they considered him to be the Messiah mm. and so that's one of the cool things I think about is just you know they considered him Messiah he has the powers of God those are given to Jesus the names associated with God um, and they just flat out called him God, you know, Colossians one uh, fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God. Mm. He is God. You can't see God, but if you want to see God, look to Jesus and you're looking at the same thing because he is God. And so there's just like some clear lines of evidence that say, did Jesus claim to be God? Absolutely. Is Jesus God? Absolutely. The only question that's really left per se on the table is, do I have faith in that? Is there enough evidence for me to believe? Is there enough evidence? Like, of, a, yeah. like a detective. And this is just, and like we haven't got to the resurrection. We haven't got to the crucifixion. We could spend weeks. <clears throat> weeks defending this. But, and, and again, at some point, is there enough evidence, just like a court, you're a judge, is there enough evidence to convict that Jesus is God? Now, the hard part, a lot of people reject Jesus is God, not because of the evidence. Because the moment that you affirm, yes, Jesus is God, and you acknowledge that, now you're held accountable to him. Mm. It is not an intellectual or a faith issue. It is a behavioral, I don't want to change my life. So it's easier to reject God, reject Jesus, even though the evidence is there, because I don't want to change my lifestyle. Because by admitting. Yep. And that's one of the things that Richard Dawkins refuses to, like, people ask, like, why do you not believe in God? And he'll give a slew of answers. But you get down to the core of it, and he wanted, he wants sexual freedom. Mm -hmm. Because the moment that you invoke a God, you're accountable to him, and being accountable to him is, you know, we, we as Christians live our lives not thinking that we're better than anybody. Like, if you talk to a, a follower of Jesus that is just, that is truly trying to live his life for Christ, we don't think we're better in any way. We think we're worse. Mm -hmm. Like, we're the broken, we're the biggest sinners there is. You know, like, we shouldn't even be allowed into a church like this. Yeah. But that's what it is. It's for broken people. We don't think we're better. We think we're far worse than everybody around. Even Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah. Which I'm like, Paul, yeah, right, you, buddy. You didn't have the down internet. There, you were the yeah, <laughs> you never went to middle school, guy. Come on. <laughs> he went to he went to Bible college. Like, <laughs> whatever. You studied the Old Testament. I studied girls. <laughs> 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 whatever bud you know he called himself the chief of sinners that's cute you know I'll tell Paul that when I get to heaven which like, obviously he's a boss but you know we that's the hard part it's not did Jesus claim to be God yes he did is Jesus God yes he is and we haven't even got into the evidence of like some of the teleological and cosmological mm -hmm. arguments the moral arguments for God some of those basic things that I have a working foundation yep. to have because that's where we're attacked and it's like the question really comes down to a question of faith. Will I surrender to it? You know, because it's not just knowing. It's a surrendering. You know, yeah. like I know if 
if I am in the ocean, I know this boat will hold me up. Faith says, I'll step into the boat. Mm. See, so many people know, yeah, he probably is, but I like my life too much. And that's, and so for me, and this is like way of description, not prescription, like those intellectual, like these nuggets, these geek outs, they affirm for me a stronger faith. And like, so when I'm in moments of doubt and I'm in moments of struggle or in temptation, it's like, all right, is God real? Yes. Is, is the Bible true? Yes. Does Jesus love me? Absolutely. Is he God? Yes, he is. Like I run through those things Mm -hmm. and it's like, so how do you not do the things that you used to do in your BC before Christ days? Because God is real. The Bible is true. Jesus loves me and he saved me. Mm. You know, and I run through those, those intellectual theological things and said, I am choosing this is what faith is. I am choosing to live my life in response to those truths. Mm-hmm. That's all faith r- is. I'm choosing to live my life in response to the truth that God is real, the Bible is true, Jesus loves me, and he saved me, and he has a plan for my life. So why don't you do these? Because God is real, the Bible is true, Jesus loves me, and he has a plan for my life, and he saved me. So it's like, that's, and that's simple for me because those are, there's real evidence, and that's why I keep saying, like, our faith is an intellectual faith. Our faith is based on reason. It's not a blind faith. Yeah. And and to be very honest, even just I'll just pick on atheism because why not? <clears throat> they attack me, so here here it's back. It I love the book. Uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. It takes more faith to believe that God is not real. The Bible is not true. That Jesus is does not love me yeah. and he does not like it it takes more faith why because again we're detectives rolling up on a scene there's a lot of evidence that we have to accumulate and to deny all of that yeah to deny all that and to say yeah i just don't believe prove it yeah you know a lot of people say that to us critical scholars like oh prove that god is real prove that he's not y- you have left less evidence to prove that god is not real then we have, I have far more evidence to prove that God is real than you have to prove that he's yeah. not, you know? And so, but really the number one thing uh, by a landslide that I've always seen is it's a response because of human behavior. No, mm. I, lust is fun. I want to sin. I, I want that. I want this lifestyle. I don't want to change. And I think that's where at times we could be preaching the gospel wrong. Mm. You know, it's like, and and it's a hardness of heart as well. Like, yeah. if people don't want transformation, they're they're not going to reach out for it, you know. And it, you just keep you just keep extending your hand of of grace and of the gospel. And and sometimes it takes people just have to hit rock bottom. And others just that's the hard realities. Some will never. Yeah. And every and the scary part is every time somebody's approached with the gospel and we engage people with the gospel, and if they say no to it. <clears throat> their heart is hardened more and more, meaning it is it it can be less and less effective because they keep saying no to it. Yeah. Think of like Pharaoh in Egypt. He kept hardening his heart to God and it keep getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And it's like if you can't say yes at the first, like the most fertile ground to the gospel is at the first moment of it. Mm. And, and just like what we tell Christians, the easiest way to overcome temptation is at the beginning of it. The moment you sit on it and you think about it and... Convince yourself it's okay. Oh, it's yeah. not as bad. Easiest yep. way to overcome temptation is at the moment of it, not after you've thought about it. Well, the same thing for, for 
trying to evangelize and to share your faith with someone, uh, after they sit and think of like that, they keep rejecting it time and time again. They're like Pharaoh. They keep hardening their heart more and more to God until, and here's the scary part, and I've, I've said this a few times when I've tried to extend an invitation for people to surrender and submit to Christ. This could be the very last time mm -hmm. you get this offer. Yep. And so if you think, ah, I'm just not my, it's just not the right season of my life to start following Jesus, <laughs> which is a lie. You know, today is the day <laughs> of salvation, the Bible says. Um, you know, just like, hey, you might not get another chance. Yeah. And I'm not saying that whole like, oh, you're going to walk out into the parking lot and get hit by a car, which could happen. But, could. but this could be the very last time. And it's like, understand the truth of who God is and who Jesus is planned for you. And, and so for me, like, that's why I like the geek outs, because it's not just a head knowledge, but that, that drives our faith mm. in God. So when people look at us and it's like, do you really believe in God and you really believe in Jesus? Yep. Why? Let me answer that. Because they yeah. think they have us. They think it's a gotcha. Gotcha in the corner. Yeah. But then when we like, like lines of evidence, pop, 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 pop. Okay. And they, well, I just don't believe that. Well, you still have to account for the evidence. Yeah. That doesn't negate that it's there. Yep. Whether you believe it or not is absolutely. So there's the geek out. Welcome to the breakdown. Thank you once again for now making me drink from a fire hydrant on Sunday morning and now on the podcast. And on the podcast. So it's a lot to take in. It is. It's it's a lot and it, it's a long episode because it's worth doing the due diligence mm -hmm. and methodically working our way through it. And not just saying, oh, we got to cut this into a 20 second sound bite of a, you know, a 30 minute, you know, yeah. funny little sitcom. It's worth it's worth spending time. And that's only the tip of the iceberg that we were able to cover. Yeah. Like, like you said, there's so many other yeah. arguments that we could have dove into. And down the road, we probably will in some ways. Yeah. This is this is what we see. Yeah. Maybe even the very tip of what we see. But there's so much more beneath the surface. It's so many people refuse to wade into, in some ways, myself included, just for the bigness and scariness of what oh, that yeah. means for my life. It's craziness. Well, that's the breakdown. <laughs> that's the Geek Out session for this week. As always, if you liked what you listened to, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Share with your family, your friends. If you like consuming the podcast, it's wherever you get your podcast, whatever podcast app or platform that you use. If you're a visual person like I am, you can head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Calvary Chapel, L-O-T-O, and uh, the video version of the podcast is there. Nick, thanks, man. Thank you. This was good. We will uh, we'll see you guys next week for another episode of The Breakdown, where we break down the previous week's sermon, geek out, have fun, all while talking about our own sanctification through the process. But for now, we'll see you guys have a great day, week, weekend, wh whatever, wh wherever you are in time. Enjoy it. We'll see you guys next week.